episode 179 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hoffer, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to recap our results from week 10 in the NFL on DraftKings, reflect on some key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at The DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, our Discord channel is open and available. It is free to join. The link to do so is in the description to the podcast. Joey, week 10. What a week. What a week for DFS. How did you do this week? Yeah, had a pretty good week in terms of cash games another disappointing week in terms of gpps so all in all i profited you ready for this Mm -hmm. i profited 50 cents (laughs) just it's so disappointing because that's what happens when you play like 60 40 in terms of your bankroll like 60 percent cash 40 percent gpp because obviously all of the money is in tournaments, not in cash games. So even though I had a pretty good cash week, if you don't have a semi-decent GPP week, you're not going to profit anything. And mm-hmm. that's what happened to me yesterday. So all of that work, all of, all of that research, all of that you know discussion that we had, all to make 50 cents. What a great hourly. Yeah, I mean... Better than a negative hourly, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I guess I have to have a, uh, a optimistic view on it. Yeah. Um, could have lost. You, you know, know, that 50 cents, that's like half a load of laundry for me. Like, I could have used that. So, I mean. You I know, mean, be, imagine be paying grateful. to do laundry. Bro. But I digress. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, for me, it was sort of the inverse where I had like a really weird week in cash where I beat the cash line in double ups, but I still lost like, you know, 70% of my head to heads. So I I broke slightly less than even on cash games, but I min cashed in Mm -hmm. multiple tournament lineups. So it was a slight um, loss on the week. Nothing crazy. Pretty much an even week for me. And and, I mean, that's okay, I guess. But yeah, it it is definitely tough, you know, putting in all the work. And and I play the same way where it's like a 60-40 cash split. And it's basically like, you know, you're, you're hoping that you're good enough in cash games to at least not be losing your money every single week in tournaments. And, you know, hopefully just waiting for that one week where you bank something massive and it all pays off, but uh, has not happened yet. 10 weeks through the season, still got a handful of weeks left to go. Still got some awesome short slates coming up with, you know, NFL playoffs, Thanksgiving, etc. So there's still time. There's still time for it all to be worth it, I think. Yeah, there's still a lot of time left and, you know, just waiting to uh, bank one. Hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. But in terms of cash game results for myself... My lineup finished with 150.64 points, so good enough to cash in all double-ups, and I went about 65 to 70% of my head-to-heads, so had a pretty solid day in terms of cash games, but we saw yesterday one of the biggest cash game trains of all time. Mm-hmm. And that kind of obvi- that obviously boosted the cash line up, uh, that lineup specifically when you know, 800 to 900 people 
in a massive single entry double up have the same lineup. So I could see how you didn't cash in some of them, especially right. the higher dollar amounts uh, when, when the cash line is getting pulled up by all of the people that ran the same lineup. But yeah, it was just was crazy to see that, you know, on a slate like this, everybody had the same lineup. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was honestly really, really surprised by that because this was a week where there were like 10 cash viable running backs and, and there was a lot of different ways you could go and cash. I, I thought anyways, so I, I was really surprised to see so many people dupe that lineup. I mean, it was, you know, it was like very optimal. Like I get, I get why it was a popular lineup and it hit. So like you said, like, you know, all those people profited, which was, you know, good for them, I guess. I, I was not on that lineup personally. I was aware of the lineup, chose not to go with it. And how about you? I think you were closer to that lineup than I was, but you didn't run it either. Yeah, I was just a 2v2 off the lineup. And for everybody listening, I'll just say it. The, the lineup that was a massive train was Dak, Dearness Johnson, Mark Ingram, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, Dan Arnold, James Conner, Lions D was the the lineup that was duplicated uh, very heavily. And then my lineup was the same besides 2v2. I had Jonathan Taylor instead of James Conner, and I played Cole Beasley just because he fit instead of Keenan Allen. And, um, you know, I just didn't really like the spot for James Conner, to be honest. You know, coming off of a statement win last week with Colt McCoy and going up against a tough Panthers defense and obviously no Kyler Murray again in this spot. So I didn't really have faith in Colt McCoy to replicate what he did last week. And I think that's why James Conner was so successful is because Colt McCoy was successful. And then we just saw in the spot an absolute dud game from him. He ended up getting hurt and the Cardinals offense kind of just disappeared. And I feel like I was right on that to fade James Conner, but he ended up getting there late into the fourth quarter scored a rushing touchdown obviously that's like seven points right there with his yards and he gets everybody there so tough scene on that and obviously Cole Beasley is a is a beta play but he fit the build I wanted to play Jerry Judy who scored you know like 11 points but just didn't have the salary with this lineup um you know I I was I was fine with my decision to play Jonathan Taylor and, and Beasley I thought JT was probably the best you know running back out of Dalvin and Najee Harris that fit the line of construction. So that's why I went JT. Yeah. And I mean, you were telling me before the slate started and I kind of acknowledged it, but I was like, I was on full galaxy brain mode this week. Like I I played Christian McCaffrey. I played Herbert over Dak. I played Gallup instead of, you know, Judy or Cole Beasley or finding a way up to Keenan Allen. Like I was just on a totally different level this week. And I feel pretty good about my choice to go with CMC. I mean, we'll talk about his usage shortly here but i mean i I don't feel like the lineup i ran was bad but when all of the chalk smashes and i don't have certain pieces it's just it's it's a brutal scene especially with heavy dupes um it it wasn't bad like i don't hate any of the plays that you made i just think on a slate like this it was probably a, a little less optimal to go that route with some obvious plays thought deck was just a much better cash game play than Justin Herbert in a clear bounce back spot for the Cowboys going up against one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. He ended up, you know, scoring 26 points. Herbert, I mean, we talked about it on one of the 
last recap podcast, but he hasn't been great and he hasn't been great in fantasy this season. So I feel like that was a little bit riskier than should have gone and obviously kind of paying up to Herbert got you off of the construction. Like if you played Dak and CMC, that that would have been fine, right? And you and you would have cashed everything. But playing Herbert and CMC kind of got you down to Michael Gallup, who, who was fine, but I don't think he was in cash game consideration personally. Yeah, that's definitely a fair critique. I guess the last major thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of cash games was that I think that Dearness Johnson's ownership really encapsulates where we are as like a DFS industry right now, where I think maybe a year or two ago, a play like Dearness Johnson that's so clearly a standout smash play would have been maybe 65% owned, 70% on the high end. He was 81%, and that kind of speaks to the fact that so many more people are just like aware of what you need to be doing in cash games these days. But still, 19% of the field in almost all double-ups decided to fade Dearness Johnson, and that, I think, is about the the remaining edge. I think there's a little under a fifth of the players on a site like DraftKings are still completely clueless. So I don't I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that, you know, it, it just those numbers really speak to me about like where we're at in terms of the player base on DraftKings. Yeah. I mean there there's definitely still an edge left because he should have been one hundred percent owned. And obviously it varies what size contest you're playing and, and the dollar amount too. Like he was sixty six percent in the five dollar double up for the single entry. He was 90% in the $250 double up single entry, right? So the lower in stakes you go, obviously the more mistakes players are going to make. So that's kind of the stakes that you probably should be playing in if you want the biggest edge. But still, even in like the $25, you know, massive double up the single entry, he was 81%, like you said, 86% in the $50 double up. So 15%, 20% of players said, nah, I'm not playing the best play on the slate. Like, what are we yeah. doing here? The, the best play we've had all year. <laughs> yeah, and and Mark Ingram, I mean, he was, I think, a, a notch below Dearness Johnson, but he was still a great play, and he ended up getting there late, scored a rushing touchdown, and he was 70%, right? Yeah. Like even, 30. Even like 55, I think, in the in the 25 single entry. Just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I think there's still an edge, especially in cash games and – People just opted to not play the best plays on the board this week. It kind of made no sense. All right. Well, we can move on here to interesting stats and storylines. And I think that we have to start just out of respect. We have to start with Christian McCaffrey because this man is he's not like a human being. I don't think he's like a like a fantasy football god that was created to, you know, accumulate massive amounts of points on a week to week basis for fantasy football. It's hard to even put into words. How do you generate 26 points on DraftKings without getting a bonus, without getting a touchdown, and while playing less than 60% of snaps, sitting out (laughs) the entire fourth quarter? It makes no sense to me. He had 13 attempts and 10 catches on 59% of offensive snaps, 10 catches and a blowout win, I will say, got vultured at the goal line three times early in the game could have legitimately had 40 points by halftime if things break just slightly differently. And he was under 10% owned on DraftKings. <laughs> I, I don't understand what people were thinking with Christian McCaffrey. Just absolutely amazing the way that he's being utilized right now. Yeah, I mean, we all know when healthy CMC is like the clear-cut fantasy GOAT, right? Like he's the best fantasy player in the NFL when healthy, especially in this Panthers offense. Just in terms of yesterday on DraftKings, he was 8,400, 
when he's realistically a 10k player he was six percent owned in the 20 dollar millimaker six percent okay and yeah he only scored 26 points didn't really get there especially with the cheap chalk going off in ingram Dearness Johnson, and then even Ramondre Stevenson, who wasn't chalk, but was 4,500, went off. So you didn't need to pay up to a running back yesterday. But from a process standpoint, he was one of the easiest GPP plays of the entire season. I mean, he realistically could have had a 50-point game. Like, no bullshit. If those touchdowns break his way, if Cam Newton doesn't come in and vulture, and I guess that's going to be a part of their offense now, so it's definitely going to be something to worry about in the weeks coming forward. But yesterday, man, he he realistically, like I said, could have had a massive game and just a stone nut GPP play. And if you're a GPP player, those are the plays that you should be making each and every single week, even if the results you know, don't work out in your favor. Yeah. And I mean, I played a ton of McCaffrey and I think that that's largely what salvaged my day. I mean, he, he was better than Dalvin cook. He was better than Najee, better than Eckler, better than Swift, better than Jones, who some people played. And and, I mean, just, we talked about it. Like there was no easier play to make in tournaments. McCaffrey only gets a $500 price increase. He's still below nine K. So we'll obviously be talking about him quite a bit on the Thursday podcast and and throughout the week. But yeah, I mean, it it was really encouraging to see McCaffrey be used this way. It looks like Cam Newton is going to be starting going forward. He's reportedly going to get all first team practice reps this week. And if he's ready to go, Matt Rule will give him the look. So we'll have to see how that changes things. But, you know, we've seen McCaffrey have success with Cam Newton before. So I'm not I'm not too worried about it. I think McCaffrey is going to be a monster play in the weeks coming uh, weeks coming up. DeAndre Swift entered week 10 with a previous career high of 16 rush attempts in a game. He left week 10 with a new career high of 33. Also had six targets in the game for a total of 39 opportunities. It was an incredible utilization day for DeAndre Swift. It's really you know, almost incredible that he finished the day with only 19 and a half DraftKings points after having 39 opportunities. I don't know how that happens. And I know it's easy to look at the situation, right, as like an obvious anomaly. Jamal Williams was out. Jamar Jefferson gets injured in the game, leaves. So the Lions have no choice but to feed DeAndre Swift. But what you got to realize, right, is that the Lions might not be in negative game scripts all the time. This, this might be the beginning of a trend because we got out of the L column today, Joey. Tie. We're no longer... A losing team. Owen Owen 17 is no longer in the cards for the Detroit Lions. So DeAndre Swift, I mean, this could be an every every week thing as the Lions are up in games, going towards wins, going towards ties. What do you think? DeAndre Swift, is is this gonna be a trend or a trap with this type of utilization? I mean, it's obviously a trap, uh, right? Uh, you know, the the Steelers offense with Mason Rudolph at the helm. Obviously a predictable letdown spot, cold weather was kind of snowing in Pittsburgh. DeAndre Swift obviously ran good with, you know, the injuries that you mentioned. Those guys will come back eventually, but DeAndre Swift is still a great fantasy player just because his role is is going to be there each and every single week in terms of utilization in the passing game. So DeAndre Swift, still a great uh, fantasy player, but he's never going to see 30-plus rushing attempts in any game for the rest of his career. <laughs> Damn. No faith that the Lions can Ever. turn it around here. What? Why are you acting like you're an actual Lions fan? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know. Like you're a you're a Lions fan, but like you don't you don't care about them. I know. It's true. It's actually true. But I gotta be I gotta hype hype the boys up. It's been so negative for so long. 
you know, and also I really like the idea of going, oh, 16 and one. I think that's super dope. Like, I don't think that would like be replicated for decades to come if that's how things end up. So I'm, I'm really hardcore rooting for oh, 16 and one. I might, I might get it tatted if we end that way. So just saying. <laughs> The big news of the week, I think, or, or the most impactful injury coming out of the slate of games that we had in week 10 was Aaron Jones suffering a mild MCL sprain in the win over Seattle. And as a result, AJ Dillon's season has officially kicked off and it kicked off with a bang, right? Because the early diagnosis is that Jones is only going to miss one or two games. Obviously, we've seen spots multiple times this year and throughout the course of every single year where, you know, the original diagnosis gets stretched because sometimes it takes longer for these players to rehab. So, I mean, we've got AJ Dillon set to be in a full workhorse role for at least one or two games. It could stretch longer. And I mean, what we saw yesterday was really encouraging. He had 21 attempts only 66 yards uh, on the ground, but got two touchdowns. Also added 62 receiving yards on only two catches. Very explosive in the receiving game. And I, I guess the question is, do you expect Dylan to maintain this role going forward? Or will the likes of you know Patrick Taylor be able to be an obstacle to the player that I think is most comparable to Derrick Henry. We've got Derrick Henry Jr. out here starting for the Packers. Yeah, no, there, there's going to be no obstacles for an increased workload for A.J. Dillon. In the upcoming weeks, this is what the Packers drafted him for. You know, it's getting into cold weather. They're in Wisconsin. It's going to start snowing, and the Packers want to play at one of the slowest paces in the NFL. They want to grind the clock down, run the ball, and A.J. Dillon is going to be a big part of that, and he's going to be utilized in the passing game as well. So moving forward, at least for the next two games, A.J. Dillon is going to be, you know, a low-end RB1 in my opinion, a high-end RB2 in terms of redraft, and he's probably going to be in play for DFS as well, depending on his salary. So he's going to be a great fantasy player. You know, he, he's a solid running back, and he's going to come into in increased opportunity with Aaron Jones out. And optimistically, they think he's going to be out one to two weeks, but he has a history of spraining his MCL. So he could be out longer than two weeks. And I've seen, you know, some Twitter doctors, fantasy doctors, whatever you want to call them, say he could be out four to six weeks. So if you can get like a month, maybe a month and a half of just AJ Dillon in that backfield, he's going to smash. Yeah. You know, I wanted to talk about whether or not we should be trading for him and sort of leveraging the possibility of you know somebody thinking that they're selling high uh with with jones only missing one or two weeks and then actually this injury spreading out and like the edge you could get by acquiring him right now but it's actually a really tough stretch of matchups he's got coming up you know he's got uh the vikings next week and i think he'll be you know in massive consideration on DraftKings at 6200 in that spot but after that he's got the rams the Bears, the Ravens, the Browns, it's like it, it, they're not smash spots for A.J. Dillon coming up. So I, I would temper the expectations, but just due to the workload and, you know, the fact that they really don't have anybody there without Aaron Jones besides A.J. Dillon, I think that, you know, he's definitely going to be a monster DFS play. I would just temper my expectations uh, for season long and before you try and make a, a blockbuster move to acquire him. On the other side of the ball, 
Russell Wilson returned for the Seahawks and got shut out for the first time in his career as a starting quarterback. It was a just absolute brutal performance to watch for the Seahawks. Wilson was clearly not 100% after, you know, being in rehab since week five, trying to get his health in order. And he comes in, has a 50% completion percentage, only completes 20 out of 40 of his attempts, had two picks and just overall looked bad. You know, as a result, frustration on the team was running high. We saw DK Metcalf grab some dude's face mask and, you know, started throwing punches a few minutes later when the other Packers stepped in and got involved. And just like a random non-football note, I don't know if you saw this, but DK Metcalf at one point after getting ejected from the game tried to go back in. Like he walked up to the huddle and was like in the huddle and and the refs like noticed Mm -hmm. and stopped the play and came over and they're like, dude, you're not in the game anymore. You need to leave. Like that is just, (laughs) I've never seen anything like that before. He's a savage. (laughs) Did they think they, did they think that they wouldn't notice? Like he's a pretty, uh, like he stands out to say the least. Yeah. I don't know why he tried to go back in. Maybe he just didn't know that he got ejected. That's probably the explanation for it, but he definitely stands out on the football field, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know what he was trying to do, but yeah, the Seahawks looked bad. Russell Wilson looked bad. And I've seen some people say maybe he came back too early from his injury because it was supposed to be like a six to eight week injury. He came back after only missing four weeks. So we'll have to wait and see in the next couple of weeks with Russell Wilson and if he can turn it around or see if the finger is still affecting him because it is on his throwing hand. So I'm, I'm just glad that I didn't play any, you know, Russell Wilson stacks uh, after initially thinking that it, it would be good. And I'm glad I got off that. Yeah, going to be hard to stay away from them next week at home against Arizona, especially if Kyler Murray is back. Russell Wilson's only 6,500 on DraftKings. So that's going to be a talking point throughout the week for tournaments. Well, the Seahawks offense is definitively broken. An offense that we've been looking at is broken may finally be fixed. And that is the Chiefs who, you know, after a brutally disappointing three-game stretch finally got right on Sunday night. Patrick Mahomes caught fire, threw the ball 50 times for 406 yards and five touchdowns. You know, Tyreek Hill had his sixth double-digit target game over the last seven weeks. Travis Kelsey went for over 100 yards for the first time since week three. And, you know, everything seems like it might just finally be back to normal. I don't know if this was, you know, just a hot game against a bad Raiders defense or if the Chiefs offense is officially fixed. I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I don't I don't know man because obviously they had a great game Mahomes balled out the receivers balled out but the Raiders really didn't run the defense that has been stopping the Chiefs you know they just opted to play the defense that they're comfortable with and they obviously got torched so we're we're gonna have to wait and see if whoever the Chiefs play in the upcoming weeks if they run the defense that has been stopping them if their offense has been really fixed or not but obviously it's encouraging for them to you know have a great game on offense get back into rhythm Patrick Mahomes wasn't really forcing any throws he was taking what the defense was giving them they were running the ball really well and you know Mahomes is is still the fantasy goat Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are still two of the best fantasy players in the NFL so I don't know I'm gonna keep on firing at the Chiefs offense and I just know that when they're back on the main slate and I play them in GPPs they will 100% bust I know that is coming 
Well, it's going to be coming soon because they play at home against the Dallas Cowboys on the main slate <laughs> next week with an early uh, opening line of 55 and a half. I mean, no cap. That thing is going to be up to like 58 in a couple of days. I, I can yeah. already tell you. So if you want to bet the over on that, bet it today because it is going to just start soaring like that game. God, what a game. And it's and it's the hammer. It's at 425 next week. So, yeah. Really, I mean, God, looking forward to that. And, and I think we'll see, um, we'll get a good answer on on how Mahomes is doing. If if they bust in that spot, that'll be really tough, but it's going to be hard not to play them in every GPP team <laughs> coming up next week. Literally. The last story for this episode of the podcast is just one for our true hardcore listeners, right? For the people who have been with us all off season, you know, through best ball season and heard me tout this one player to the moon. And that one player is Gabriel Davis, who finally went for over 100 yards yesterday. And while it was his first 100-yard performance of the year, Joey, it's not going to be his last. All right, he logged over 50% of snaps for the Bills for only the second time this year. And, you know, non-coincidentally, Emmanuel Sanders' snap percentage was falling. It was all the way down to 60% after not being under 71 at any point this year. Cole Beasley was on the field for only 11 snaps and spent the entire second half on the sideline. So, while it may have taken a while, I think the stars have finally arrived for my boy Gabe Davis, soon to be making a regular impact in the Bills' offense. You buying or selling <laughs> that Gabe Davis is finally beginning to emerge this season? I'm definitely not buying. That's a fact. Come on. What more do you need? I mean, they were playing the Jets, and they were up by, you know, 28 after, like, the first half. So, obviously, they're, they're going to give like Isaiah McKenzie, Gabe Davis. They gave Matt Breda a lot of run. Like they got their backups worked in yesterday. I wouldn't make too much of a big deal out of the snap percentage. We know that in competitive games, it's going to be Sanders. It's going to be Beasley out on the field. It's not going to be Gabe Davis. It finally took two months for him to have a game for you to tout on this podcast uh -huh. after touting him all off season, after having a 1v1 debate, which I mean, I clear cut one without a doubt. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had a good game, but you can relish in the fact that this will never happen again for the rest of the, the 2021 season because it won't. See, I, I would say that, you know, you're saying they were given their backups run because it was a blowout. I would say that they diagnosed the issue with their offense after losing to the Jaguars and they they took some time, they sat and they thought and they were like, what what's wrong with the offense? And they came to the most obvious conclusion, not enough Gabe. And they fixed that. And that and that's what we're going to see going forward. So remains to be seen. But mark my words right now, that will not be the only 100-yard performance of the year for Gabriel Davis. Got more action coming in soon. And I think that that is going to be it for episode 179 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure that you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carey and DFS. We will be back on Thursday with our first look at the Week 11 NFL DFS slate. For more NFL DFS content, make sure you check out our YouTube channel, The DFS Dose. We post multiple videos per week and live stream every Saturday evening. Finally, you can connect with us for free in our Discord channel. The link to join is in the show notes to the podcast. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.